Okay, welcome everybody. This is Chris Bruce. The thing that I wanted to go into, and I usually do questions that I've gotten a lot of in this week, and the one that I've gotten the most of is how do I get people to, to do something? How do I get them to commit? How do I get them to follow? How do I get them to join the business? There's a lot of different ways about it, but really it's about getting people to catch the vision and, and to have the vision. They have to have some sort of imagination. They have to be able to look and see that there's some possibility there. If people don't have hope, if they don't have a, a, a belief that something's real, they're not going to be able to really do anything. They're not going to uh, want to participate in something that they can't imagine. And so there's a few stories that I like to tell and a few stories that I'm going to tell today. And really, that's the best way I've ever seen is you have to be able to share a story that creates an emotional connection that allows them to have their imagination kick in and, and think, if it happened for them, could it happen for me? What would it be like if? Um, you need to get them to be able to ask those questions. So I've heard it described as herding cats. You know, if you're trying to make people do the business, if you're trying to make people buy the products, if you're trying to make people do things, it's really difficult because people are so individualistic. They're going a bunch of different directions without um, us having any control over that. So if you're controlling people, if you're trying to push people into things, it's really difficult. And you constantly have to be engaged because if they're not doing it for themselves, if they're doing it because you're making them do that, as soon as you stop, so do they. And the real idea of this is you want this to be something that grows on its own, that's exponential, that's residual, that is duplication where a lot of people are doing little things all the time and it's spreading out and becoming something greater than what's been put into it. It's, it's, it's got this exponential growth that uh, um, helps us to do things that are more than we could do on our own. And so I'm going to tell my origin story a little bit and, and what kind of gave, gave me my why. And it goes back to my dad. When I was really young, I was three years old. Uh, my parents split up. My dad was uh, just finishing his residency Dads are always kind of like the, the hero because they're so big and everything like that. And I thought my dad was a giant. He could pick me up and throw me up and catch me and all of those things that you do with a three-year-old kid. But suddenly he was gone and our parents' custody sharing thing, instead of being like weekends and things because of the distance that they lived apart and the schedules that they kept, instead it was about six months at a time or at least several months at a time where we would live with one or the other. And when we lived with my dad, since he was now done with the residency and his first job was in uh, Houston, Texas as a uh, an emergency room doctor, child care was a lot different then and rules of hospitals were a lot different then. This is back in the 70s. Um, he would just take us, my brother and I was this time about four or five years old. And so my brother's three years younger. So one or two year old, if you can imagine taking two little boys that age to work. Um, especially if you work in a hospital, especially if you're working in the emergency room. And so he would take us and the the nurses, the other doctors, um, the various staff would keep us out of the way. And a lot of that involved uh, picking us up and putting us on a counter, sit here, <laughs> be quiet. And so we we just were, were there watching and we weren't in the exam rooms. We were just like on a table or a counter in the hallway. And the, the big formative thing that happened is there was this big multi-car pileup on the freeway. I, I don't know how many cars it was. I was really little, but it just seemed like the world was ending because ambulance after ambulance after ambulance was coming to this 
emergency room and they were unloading people. And, and my brother and I are sitting on this counter, just wide eyed watching stretcher after stretcher come in and uh, EMTs and the nurses and the doctors all frantic and people yelling and screaming. And they're just going all over the place. And my dad's kind of in the middle of it, running from patient to patient and having to wash up and change his clothes over and over again because he was getting blood all over him. And there weren't enough rooms. So people were in the hallway with us. And it just it just seemed like it was never ending. And I don't know how long it went on. It might have been minutes. It might have been hours. But it just seemed like there were so many people and so many people were hurt. And it, it just took over everything. And then finally, everybody had been triaged. People were put into different rooms. Some people were taken to surgery. Um, people were calmed down. They were bandaged. They were um, given pain relief. And, and it just had quieted down. And every the nurses, the doctors are just exhausted. I mean, everybody just looks shell-shocked. And my brother and I are just sitting on this counter. And it, it was just a few minutes later. It had just been calm. They had just started cleaning up. And another ambulance comes. And this one is a teenage boy with a gunshot wound to his chest. And the the EMTs and the ambulance had been doing everything they could for him. And he was still bleeding and bleeding. And um, they brought him in and says he has to go into surgery right now. But there was, you know, all the surgeons were busy. All the surgical suites were, were full. I mean, there was no place to put him. And so my dad, he's stripping to his underwear in the hallway and calling for scrubs and running to wash his hands. And has nurses trying to help him dress as he's, you know, running to this kid. And he gets up on the gurney with him and um, essentially just puts his fingers into this kid's chest and pinches off the, the artery, whatever the source of the bleeding was, and stops it. And so he's there. They're putting in IVs. They're doing everything they can. And my dad has his hand like in this kid's chest. And, and he, he kept him alive long enough for them to clear a, a suite, to move something somewhere, to call somebody in, whatever it was. But they were able to save this kid. And so my brother and I are sitting here watching this happen. And I just had this feeling that my dad was a superhero because he, you know, this kid was dying and he stopped it. And so that's why I wanted to be a doctor. And so my whole life after that was you're going to be a doctor. So I started reading. I started studying. I started absorbing everything about being a doctor. What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a doctor. And this happened all the way through, did advanced placement things in high school. When I graduated, started my pre-med and in my first year pre-med, applied for scholarships and I got one. It was a full-ride scholarship to Rice and that was the plan. And in celebration for it, and I've told the story a bunch of times, a friend of mine got tickets to go see Sting in Salt Lake City. And we were driving there and a truck full of all this cut up wood and lumber. It was different lengths, logs and, and firewood. I mean, just, it was just junk. Lost its load on the freeway between Idaho Falls and Pocatello on the way down. And we hit this pile of, of logs, 75 miles an hour in a pickup truck. And I'm in the passenger seat. The, the tape deck is broken. So I, we've got this little boom box that's plugged into the cigarette lighter. And I'm changing tapes when suddenly everything goes crazy. And I just didn't understand what had happened. I blacked out pretty much immediately. When I woke up, I was in the bed of the pickup. The pickup was in three pieces. We were on the other side of the freeway. So we'd gone through the oncoming lane of, of traffic, um, but hit by another vehicle. My friend who was driving was pinned in the cab. Um, 
And I spent several years recovering from that accident. And if you are having progressive memory loss and seizures and you can't use your hands very well, that full ride scholarship for going to medical school kind of goes away. And so lost that. And years later, I'm just about recovered. The seizures are mostly gone. I'm feeling a little better. And the very first time I go and, and do anything sporty with friends, I end up breaking my back. And so I spend another several years going through all of this stuff. And those two events and all of the uh, medical intervention involved in them killed my dream of being a doctor because I was a patient for so long. And I saw the frustration of the doctors as they were going through all of these different hoops that they had to jump through to care for their patients because it wasn't them usually making the decisions. It was hospital administration. It was insurance companies. It was drug companies and just nothing that they did helped me. I just got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And then I was introduced to something that was completely weird, hokey voodoo, something that I didn't understand, something that didn't seem like it would work logically based on all of the education that I had up to that point. But it worked. It, it was this weird thing that should not have worked based on my knowledge of science, but it worked and my pain went away and I got better. And so that's what introduced me to the world of network marketing, because the thing that helped me didn't come from a doctor. It didn't come from a scientist directly to me. I mean, originally scientists and doctors developed it, but it, it came from a friend of my grandparents, a, a, a kid that worked on their farm when he was little, um, introduced it to them. They introduced it to me, changed my life. And so fast forward, I've spent almost three decades now sharing products, sharing the vision with people, helping them to understand that there are different things they could do where they could take responsibility for their own health. So how do you get other people to do that without putting them in car wrecks and having a bunch of angry teenagers dogpile them and break their back? That's not a formative thing that we want to duplicate. And so how do you get other people to see the vision? There, there's a famous author. Most people know him for The Little Prince. And he's one of the few people that I know of that has a longer name than me. But his name is Antoine-Marie Jean-Baptiste Roger Comte de Saint-Exprès. And they just usually call him Antoine de Saint-Exprès. And he has, he's a fascinating writer, has a lot of quotable quotes that, that really appeal to me. He only lived to, to the age of 44. He was a pilot and he was lost during World War II. But a lot of the things that he says have to do with the imagination, with attitude, with the way that we interact with each other and the way that we use our imagination. And one of them is a pile of rocks ceases to be a pile of rocks once a person looks at it with the idea of a cathedral, because that's the imagination part of it. Nothing that, that exists that's, that's, that's human made without it at one point being just a dream, an imagination, an idea. And from that point where we have this dream or this imagination or this idea, once it becomes so real in our minds that we start to act upon it, that we actually go out and move and do something, that's when we start to, to create our own reality, to start to, to do things. And so the biggest thing with this kind of company or any kind of entrepreneurism where you're wanting to start something that doesn't exist and create something new is that imagination. And so our main job is to be able to spark that dream, that imagination in another person. If, if you ask little kids, so you go to a kindergarten and you ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? You're going to get this list of just amazing things, these big dreams. And if you go to those same kids in high school, 
the expectations have been tamped down and a lot more of them are thinking accountant versus astronaut because astronaut just seems so crazy. There's only so few people who can do it. There's so many kids that were going to be basketball players or ballerinas or something like that. And, and now they're thinking that something in an office or in a retail store or something like that, that's what they're going to do. But somewhere in each person, that little kid is still there with that big dream and you have to tap into it. And the biggest way to do that is with stories. And so the best advice that I can give to people is to learn more and more stories, be able to tell a story that has an emotional connection that you feel when you tell it so that when you're feeling it and you tell it to other people, they, they'll pick up on it. We're, we're very empathetic peop, uh, individuals, species. When someone you know is crying or laughing or angry, it's very easy for us to start to feel those things with them. That's why we like to go to concerts or sporting events where there's a lot of people and we're cheering for our team or our favorite song is playing or the actor says that one line that we all love and we all react to it. Those are big, big scale things. It's hard to duplicate again unless you're at convention. But if you can learn a story about each product, if you can learn a story about the business, some successful thing, some wonderful thing that has happened, and you can share that consistently, whether you're telling it, whether you're writing it, whether someone else told it and you're just sharing it. That's the wonderful thing with the, the videos and the audio recordings we have now is you can have that first time experience of, of like James McGrath, who has gone through so much and all of this pain and, and, uh, and suddenly there's light breaks through the clouds and, and things are better. There's so many of these stories that, that we can share. And so if you can learn to do that and, and I would practice, talk to an empty room, talk to the mirror, if you're not comfortable telling a story, learn to be comfortable telling a story. I took acting classes. Uh, I took speech classes because I'm I'm an introvert. I don't like talking to people. It's very difficult for me to go into a room with a bunch of people in it. It just is. That's, that's my nature. But I, I'm able to get past that because I know it's very important that I do act with these other people and become parts of, of a community. And if I can do that, then you can too. It's, it's just something that that you have to learn to do. Some people just absolutely love it. And they're the life of the party, the star of the show. They're the ones that are, they have no problem. Hey, sing a song. Sure. Give me the microphone. Some of us are not like that, but you can learn to be more like that. So going back with that St. Uxbury, one of my favorite quotes by him, and I believe it's from his book, Citadel. And there's so many different translations from French to English because it's a very poetic language to a very linear language. So if you look up his quotes, they all, everybody who translates does it a different way. And so sometimes it's really simple and hokey sounding. I like it when it's a little more flowery and he's talking about building boats. And how do you get, how do you build a boat? It's not something that usually one person can do. Like when he's talking like a big sailing ship. It, it just takes so much work, so much expertise. How do you do that? And he said, if you want a community to build a ship, you don't round the people up. You don't assign tasks. You don't send people to weave canvas. You don't send people to, to cut down trees and produce lumber. You don't tell a bunch of people to study the stars and learn to navigate. Instead, you instill in them the, the wonder and the desire for the endless sea. And so if you can get people to have the big dream, the how of it, you don't have to worry about it. They'll figure it out. So if you can get people to, to say, I want to go there, I want to experience that, I want to feel that, 
then they'll figure out how they're going to get from point A to point B. You don't have to worry about that. You're not going to have to uh, micromanage and tell people every single step, send this video, then this video, and then call them on this day, and then do this, and then do that. You're going to say, this is going to change people's lives. You just have to find them. This is going to be something where it's going to give you freedom. You just have to do it. And then they figure it out because your why is your why. They have to have their own. So if you can get people really through some story, some way to spark their imagination, that's when it's going to happen. And then after that, it's up to them. My, my grandma had these three by five cards and she typed this up over and over and over again. And she stuck them all over the place. She put them in your lunch. She'd leave them on a table somewhere. And it is just very simple. It would say, pray, then move your feet. Imagination has to become concrete somehow. And it's through our own ambition and endeavor. So figure out why you're doing this, why you want to do this. And then once you have that down, once you have that, that feeling inside yourself, then you can share it with other people. And that really is how you get people to do things is you don't make them do it. You get them to desire it, to wonder it, wonder about it, to have that imagination fire. So that's my message for today. Thank you, everybody, for being on with me. I hope a lot of you are in uh, Salt Lake and you get to see Dave in person. And next week, I'm sure he'll be back 